If you were with us last week, uh, I had titled um, this eighth chapter, uh, Kept by the Spirit, and we'll look at tonight, Kept by the Spirit, part two, but uh, what we'll really be focused on is everyone's favorite topic in the body of Christ, suffering. This is what everyone loves uh, about being a believer. Would you guys agree? We all, we, all, we all look forward to suffering, and, uh, and of course I say that tongue-in-cheek, but I don't think uh, many of us look forward to it. Uh, there are saints around the world that do. They've grown that much in their love for the Lord, and that much in their walk, and that much in their genuine compassion uh, for the lost and their passion for the Lord uh, that they actually really, really believe where the Scripture says that they've been counted worthy to suffer. And I know, but this is generally not the case in the, in the body of Christ in America. We don't, we don't see the same type of suffering, though we all have seen some level of suffering. But he starts off in the first, uh, I, I, I actually picked it up from verse 18, but uh, let's go back and look at 17 because that's where it really starts. And if children, then heirs heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with Him, that we may be glorified together. Uh, Paul makes the case that all believers, as part of their adoption, as part of being heirs, are destined for suffering. Destined for it. Heirs of God, if indeed we suffer with Him, that we may also be glorified together. Uh, he doesn't give the level of suffering for each person because it's not going to be the same for everybody. Uh, if you've read books like Extreme Devotion or Fox's Book of Martyrs, you know that some people's suffering uh, led all the way not only to death, but even torturous, uh, incredibly horrific deaths, suffering that is beyond human comprehension. If you read Charles, uh, or Richard Wormbrandt's book, Tortured for Christ, uh, you'll see that as well. If you see, you, know, you see stories all the time where you know, somebody uh, it, it spends their entire life, um, you know, Johnny Erickson Tata, you know, for, you know, paralyzed from, from the neck down. That's an entire life of, of suffering in a way that's different than what you would go through. Uh, you know, some people suffer through migraines. Some people suffer through cancer like uh, we have folks going through in our own body. I mean, it go, the list goes on and on. There's a lot of different kinds of suffering. Uh, and uh, obviously the world also suffers difficult things. But that's not what Paul's talking about here. Do you see what the text is talking about? In verse 17, heirs of God, if indeed we suffer with Him. The world doesn't suffer with Christ. Would you agree? If they suffer... They suffer apart from Christ, but they don't suffer with Christ. This is speaking to believers that are suffering specifically because they follow the Lord. Uh, they will be buffeted now because of following the Lord. Um, this is not usually part of the altar call, is it? Yeah, because this is a tough, tough thing to swallow, uh, that this will be part of our Christian life. And that's why Paul has to take it to the end of really how you could understand this 
And he takes it all the way to the point in verse 18, for I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed. So Paul says, you know, you will not endure suffering if you are earthly minded. Impossible. You'll never be able to endure suffering. You know, uh, this was, you know, in times past, people that were in slavery all the way uh, through time, whether it was in ancient times, whether it was uh, the slaves that were slaves in the United States, uh, many of them uh, really, they longed for the day when God would take them home with death because they knew that the afterlife with Christ was, was paradise, would be, uh, would be peace. Would, they'd never feel a whip on their back again. They would never be hungry again. They would never work 18-hour days again. All those things, uh, that suffering uh, was where, as a matter of fact, some of the great spirituals that came uh, out of the deep south where slaves that had wonderful relationships with God wrote some theologically deep things. And many of them would later be used, uh, even D.L. Moody's Crusades, many of those songs would later be used. Uh, but that kind of suffering, it's hard to rectify if you don't have something you can fix your eyes on. Obviously Hebrews tells us to fix our eyes upon Jesus, but we know where Jesus is. He's in heaven. He's made earth his footstool, this earth that's wasting away. And so this eternal perspective is where Paul starts out with, yes, if you're going to be an heir with Christ, and I hope every single person here is, if we're going to be an heir with Christ, we also will participate in his earthly ministry. What was his earthly ministry? Well, in Acts 3.18, it says, those things which God foretold by the mouth of all of his prophets, not some of his prophets, all of his prophets, that the Christ would suffer, he has thus fulfilled. Now we know he fulfilled it with the ultimate suffering of the crucifixion and and the uh, torment he went through on that day of atoning for our sins. But even before that, well before that, it said the Son of Man had no place to lay his head. Correct? Jesus made it clear that, uh, you know, and, and it's really amazing because Jesus, and this is, the, this is the lesson for believers, he didn't just suffer, he actually chose to suffer. A lot of us suffer, and we are suffering for the name of Christ, but a lot of times uh, it's not a specific choice. Well, it is a choice to suffer from the day you uh, say, Jesus, please be my Lord and Savior. You actually, you didn't know it, but you actually chose to sign up for suffering with your following Christ. Now, but then you can actually, as you grow, you can actually choose to suffer for the Lord even more. You can say, I'm going to, I'm going to fast this amount of time for others. I'm going to give more of our income to other people and needs. I'm going to give more of my time. That's a cho- that's a, that is a chosen suffering because it's not being levied on you without your willing participation. You actually are yielding to that. And Jesus yielded to the life of suffering that he, get, that he had all the way to the cross. The cross was the end. But before that, he yielded to that life of giving up. You know, when you actually are God and you decide to live on dusty earth and be thirsty at times and fast for 40 days in the wilderness, you know, these are literal... Has anyone ever fasted for 40 days in the desert? And these are the sufferings that Jesus not only endured, 
But he chose and said, I will do these things that the Father would be well pleased. Isaiah 53.3, you know Isaiah 53 is a pivotal chapter uh, in all the scriptures, uh, an Old Testament uh, prophecy of the, of the Christ as the uh, Lamb. But he is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. This is the life, this was the ministry of Jesus on the earth that he would be acquainted with grief. Uh, now, Paul says here that, uh, that we, in verse 17, we would suffer with him, but he didn't consider that the sufferings of this present time were worthy to be compared. Now, Paul would really echo this now as he's been in heaven for well over 2,000 years, right? What he wrote about, he's been living out. Of course, he's outside of time and space now, but according to our calendar, he's been in heaven for well over 2,000 years, and he would say, that, what I, that which I wrote, I now really, really believe it, even though I knew it was true when I wrote it. Uh, he wrote to Timothy. Timothy was younger than him. Timothy was a pastor that would also endure uh, some level of persecution. Everyone will. And he said, and you say, well, everyone will. Yeah, that's what he said in 2 Timothy 3.12. Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Now, this causes a lot of people to say, well, then I probably should not desire to live godly. That, I, you think I'm kidding about that, right? This is the log illogical, scripturally, but it is, the, it is the response of many a believer to say, well, then I just probably should not live godly. Well, that house of cards falls down too. We don't have time for that study, right? Building on sand is not a good alternative. Uh, being lukewarm is not a good alternative. Uh, as uh, Dave, um, Damien Kyle preached to us at the uh, Paris conference, being a dead corpse is not a good solution either. So you basically have to say, like, Lord, by faith, this is true, this eternal perspective. And again, if you want to break this up, uh, this little, the, verse 17, I, can, I call the eternal perspective. And he goes on to say uh, in Philippians 3.8, Paul writes, yet indeed I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as, a, as rubbish that I may gain Christ. Now again, willingly choosing to suffer prepares you for those times that you don't choose it. Willingly choosing. Remember, Jesus is our model. Jesus set the bar that he came to the earth to die. Remember, he was wrapped in swaddling or burial clothes as a baby. Uh, you know, frankincense, myrrh, which would be put on his dead body, was given to him as a child, as a baby. So he knew that he was coming to suffer. But when you willingly choose to suffer, when you lose things or suffer things, you're able to take it more patiently. Right? You ever seen someone who gives nothing away? You go in the house of someone who gives nothing away with a two-year-old, and they have nice stuff. They have a migraine after three minutes of you being there, right? Because they, are, you know, they, 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 don't, they can't lose any of this stuff. This stuff means the world to them. But if you hold on to loosely to things, right, then you're a lot more okay with it, Right? We had a couple things broken in the house just the other day. It's just another day in the park for us at our house, right? For those of you that are parents, you know what that's like. 
It was something we really liked. We really treasured. It was something that came back from Israel with us. But those things are all going to be rubbish and are all going to... Ask the people in Oklahoma how much they can hold on to today what they might have had before. Now some of them may have been godly people that really weren't trying to hold on to any of that stuff. They said, the Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away. But others were really holding on to that stuff. And I don't know who is who in, in here. I don't know who is who, you know, when you're riding down the road. Some people, God's been giving them something, and they're like Job. You might think, well, that person, uh, you know, they love every... They're, Job was like, I'm not in love with this stuff. Satan thought he was, right? Satan was convinced Job was in love with these things. And uh, God said, no, he's not. He's in love with me. Take it all away and watch and see. He will not leave my side. He will cling to me. And so... Even in the Old Testament, we see that suffering, whether it was Job, or whether it was Joseph, or whether it was David, or whether it was Moses, or whether it was Rahab, you know, it goes on and on, whether it's Ruth, whether it's Naomi, just go through, you'll just see everyone suffers it, whether they're a pilgrim in the land, whatever it may be, and Paul says, hey, I count all these things as rubbish that I may gain what? Gain Christ. This is where... Uh, this eternal perspective. Now, we, we don't just, with an eternal perspective, it's not just that we will gain Christ when we see him in heaven, but we also gain his power in our life today, now. We can endure these things because of uh, Christ. 1 Corinthians 15, 19 says, If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most pitiable. Paul said, if... If all, if all we have to look forward to is what God does in our life here, although that is amazing to see the transformation in our life, but Paul says we're, we're pretty pitied if we live our life and then we just kind of die and cease to exist or we don't really attain the glory of the things which have not been yet revealed. Now they've been revealed as far as told that they're there, but... He later talks about that hope which we haven't seen yet. Uh, we believe it because we know that we'll see it, right? We know, it's, it's, a, it's a hope that we know is there. Uh, it's not a hope that we, that we think is there. Again, people that you know, played that $300 million lottery or something like that, I mean, a lot of people might have been hoping. But that's a massive chance, one in $300 million. Jesus' odds of delivering are one in one. Right? That's pretty cool. Your hope of these things is one in one. Not one in two. Not one in three. One in one are the odds that he will deliver. So we're not of most men pitiable. But we need to have this eternal perspective for perseverance, to be able to push through. This is how Paul gets bit by a snake. What's he do with the snake? cries, whines, falls on his back, says, I can't believe this has happened. You know, look it up on the uh, internet. No, he just he throws it off and says, I'm going to keep preaching, and if I die here, I'll be in heaven. If I don't die here, I'm going to keep preaching. That's why he would say, for me to live as Christ, to die as gain. Um, and, it, and it helps you not to worry so much about things. Because Satan wants us worried about all kinds of stuff. 
Worry about everything. Jesus said, and Jesus knew that this was a problem when, when suffering would come because he said, don't even worry. You can't change your height. You can't change anything. Uh, how many hairs are on your head? You can't change any of these things, so why worry about them? Today has enough for itself. Rest in me and know that if you don't make it out of today, you'll be in heaven. Right? If you're saved and an F5 hits you in Oklahoma and you're in heaven with Jesus in the next few minutes, you'll be a lot happier than when you live in Oklahoma. I've been to Oklahoma. Now, that's a different thing. Nothing wrong with Oklahoma. If you're from there. But um, you know, a lot of people don't, they don't uh, persevere. Uh, but some, it's a funny, funny thing. Uh, some people think that, again, remember that this suffering is suffering with Christ. And the more you're with Christ, the more the enemy will attack you and the more you need to be with Christ, and the more the enemy will attack you. Uh, in, uh, in one of the stories in Extreme Devotion, uh, there was a, an individual that told the pastor, and the pastor had suffered genuine persecution. I mean, really had suffered uh, greatly. And one of the people in the church who was just having some attacks in their life, or what they said, uh, told the pastor, and this is a true, true story, told the pastor, uh, Satan's really attacking me. And, all, and then rattle off all these areas. And the pastor said, Satan is not attacking you. You haven't done near enough for God for Satan to be attacking you. And the point was, he said, Satan's attacking people that are really living for Jesus. Notice who Satan attacked personally in the Bible. Jesus, Job, Peter. Remember the two men that were, you know, thought that they, uh, they, they thought they had uh, powers to cast out demons and stuff, and the demons even said, Paul we know, Jesus we know, but we don't know you two. And then they beat the tar out of them, right? The demons are not attacking. If you're living a worldly life, any of the suffering you're experiencing is not suffering that, that Satan is attacking you, Right? You know, it'd be like, uh, it'd be like drinking a 12-pack and having, a, oh, I feel horrible the next day. Can't believe God's doing this to me, right? No, that would be, that would be a self-inflicted sin issue, right? So this kind of suffering, again, this suffering is the more you press into the Lord, you feel the enemy coming against you. It's a headwind. It's a headwind. And the longer I've been saved, and the more I grow in Christ, I feel the headwind, right? Sometimes I feel it more than others. Some places I feel it more than others. Some years I feel it more than others. Thank God for seasons of rest, too, because in the Christian life, you're either going into a trial, in a trial, or coming out of a trial, right? Bad news, huh? That's why I told this you. This is the most favorite subject of Christians that Paul is broaching right here. Uh, 2 Corinthians 12, 9 through 10, though, here's where the Lord will sustain us. 2 uh, Corinthians 12, 9 through 10, and he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in weakness. Oh, men really hate this one. This is really tough for men. We were watching a Tim Hawkins video uh, over the weekend. You guys like him? Funny stuff. Uh, he was saying, he goes, guys, you can't be cool after 40. Your body won't let you, right? And I, I, I will quote that for the rest of my life now. 
because I've come to realize the truth of that statement. You know, he talks about you get off the couch with a grunt, and your kids ask, would you just climb out of a well? Or, you know, you used to just get off the couch, spring off the couch even, right? But with age, more infirmities kind of set in. More weakness sets in. The most powerful men God's ever used in the history of the world oftentimes were men that had been fully drained of everything. But the power, you know, those of us that were uh, up at the pastor's conference watching Lewis Neely, nearly 80, uh, you know, he's battled leukemia for a few years. He's had heart surgery, hip surgery, this surgery, that surgery. I mean, just, uh, and yet when he gets in the pulpit, it's like a 22-year-old man with the Holy Spirit, you know, setting him on fire. That's that weakness made strong. Therefore, Paul says, he goes on in 2 Corinthians 12, 9 through 10, therefore, most gladly, this is when you really glow in the Lord, most gladly will I rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. This is a mature, when you become so heavenly minded, so fixed on Jesus Christ, so focused on when I see him face to face, that you would rather have the power of Christ than a life of ease. Where Paul says, no, no, I, I'm not trading. Yeah, I, I'm not trading. If I could go back to a life of ease, because Paul had a life of ease at one time, didn't he? He had a life of ease. He had position, power, all success, all that stuff. Uh, but rather, I'll boast in my infirmity that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in my infirmities. He must have been out of his mind to write. He took pleasure in his infirmities that the power of Christ, uh, or uh, in his reproaches and needs, persecutions and distress for Christ's sake. There it is again, suffering with Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Now, to embrace that, you just have to believe that God means everything that he said right there. That it's true. Well, I've never experienced that. Well, embrace it now. And like I said, you know, going back to the uh, folks in Oklahoma, if, if you treasured everything as a god, you're going to be really disappointed. But if you start to say, you know what? Like we have this free uh, giveaway thing coming up on the 15th where we're going to give to people. Say, you know what? I'm going to give a few things that I actually like. So then, if God ever takes away things you actually like, it doesn't break you that much as mu- because you're like, oh, I've already learned to give away some things we like. Not just your junk. David said, I won't give the Lord that which costs me nothing. And in Paul's life, after he had already given his stuff away, it started to cost him health, attacks, reputation. But he considered all those things rubbish, and then he came to the place and he said, look, I even boast in them. I take pleasure in them because I know it's making me more like Jesus and the power of Christ is resting upon me. James says the same thing. You know the verses. My brethren, first uh, James 1, 2, and 3, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials knowing the testing of your faith produces patience. Again, it's when you walk with Jesus, the testing of your faith, this is the testing that Satan will bring upon you, that the world will bring upon you to say, if you really love the Lord, let's see it. And God says, my my children will come forth as gold, refined in the fire. He goes on in verse 19, though, it's not just this, uh, it's us suffering, the earth is suffering. 
Uh, verse 19, for the earnest expectation of creation eagerly awaits for the revealing of the sons of God, for the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly. Now, the earth can't do it willingly because the earth doesn't have a will. The earth is not a spirit-inhabited being like us. The earth doesn't willingly succumb to thorns and nuclear bombs and you know, d- devastation and, and uh, all kinds of viruses in the wild and you, know, you name it. The earth doesn't willingly, but it was thrown on the earth and the earth, as it were, groans, according to Paul, because Adam and Eve's sin has been catastrophic for the whole planet ever since. Whether it be the worldwide flood, whether it be you know, localized floods, earthquakes, F5 tornadoes in Oklahoma, you name it. The earth has seen a lot of uh, rumbling and shaking and moving and quaking. And these things we can observe that will get even worse as we get to the end. That the earth will groan more. Jesus talked about this in the Olivet Discourse. When he looked down over Jerusalem, they said, you know, tell us the things about the end. Tell us when the end of these things. And Jesus tells, you know, you, you think you've seen the earth in travail now. Wait till the seven-year tribulation when the earth will groan and rock and reel and every island will be moved out of its place. Can you imagine that kind of earthquake? Every island. Hawaii's an island. And we're talking about little tiny ones. But everything will be moved out of its place. But the earth has been groaning for a long, long time, ever since the Garden of Eden. But just as our hope, just as our hope and our perseverance, again, I can persevere in the faith because God's given me salvation. He's given me His Holy Spirit, which we emphasized last week, is uh, mentioned, what is it, 18 times specifically, no, 22 times specifically, and two more times as Himself. So 24 mentions of the Holy Spirit in the 8th chapter. He's given us salvation. He's given us the blood of Jesus. He's given us the power of the Holy Spirit. He's given us grace to endure infirmities, to endure the loss of things, to endure the loss of people when we have funerals in our lives. All of these things, God's given us grace to endure these kind of things. But the earth we see is also enduring. Also enduring. Uh, The earth is not going through death pains, it's going through birth pains. It will give birth to the return of Jesus Christ. Isn't that awesome? Because God's going to re- redo the earth. It's going to have a renewal. After the flood, you would have thought after the flood that nothing will ever grow here ever again. Everything was destroyed. And yet look at it today, right? There's places like Tahiti and beautiful places and and all of that was barren, brown, destroyed, mud, and God redid it then and he'll redo it again. The earth is going through these uh, birth pains and we can see this earthly uh, observation. But the earth is waiting not like a spirit. Paul's just saying the earth has set on a... Uh, Paul's, what he's saying here is more like the earth is set on a, it's set on a timer. Just like you know, you're cooking and you set it on a timer. The oven doesn't have a spirit, but it, when the timer goes off, you respond, right? And you go. And so the earth is kind of set, as it were, on a timer, and God knows the timer. The earth doesn't even know the timer any more than the oven knows the timer. But The timer is set by the Lord. No man knows the day or the hour. Only Jesus uh, in in the sense of the Father. 
but he separates himself even from that uh, inside the knowledge that God the Father is the one that has the final, now go, redeem the earth, restore the earth. And we know that uh, in Isaiah 11, verses 6 and then 9 and 10, we see uh, what a glimpse of that will look like. The wolf also shall dwell with the lamb. The leopard shall lie down with the young goat. Wolves and leopards do not lay down with sheep and lambs given the opportunity for a free meal. They'll tear it to pieces. The calf and the young lion. Lions don't give up a meal. And the fatling together and little child shall lead them. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain. They won't destroy the earth. We won't need Greenpeace at that time. We won't need the Save the Whales campaign. We won't need anyone telling us about global warming because God will have already brought the worst global warming and then brought it back to a nice temperature that we'll all love. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea, and in that day there shall be a root of Jesse. And we know who that is, don't we? This is what the earth groans for. It groans for the return of Christ, but not the same reason we do. It's just that God, when he created creation, at the end of creation, he said it is good. It's not good right now, is it? And he's going to make it back to even better than good. Uh, It'll be even better than it was before. Let's look at the uh, next couple of things in our time as we come our last several minutes together, eager for redemption. Uh, if you're taking notes, again, the first um, uh, of suffering, eternal perspective, the earthly observation, and then eager for redemption. Eager for redemption. We see that it's not just the earth, not only verse 23, not only that, but we also have the first fruits of the Spirit. One of the things the Spirit, and it goes on, we, are, we within ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly awaiting the adoption of the redemption of the body. One of the signs of the Holy Spirit dwelling in you, one of the evidences of the Holy Spirit's work in your life, is you long for the new body. It'll be revealed. Now, as Lewis Neely told us, this gets easier with age. The older you get, the easier it is to yearn for the new body. Because we're, we know that we're going to... This, We have the same spirit. Our spirit will live in heaven, although, praise God, when we get there, it'll never think about sin or anything like that again. The body, soul, and spirit. So we know the body and uh, the soul and the spirit, uh, we can't touch the spirit. We can't touch the soul tangibly, right? We can't taste our spirit. We can't taste our soul. We can't touch it. You know, any of the five senses don't apply to the spirit or to the soul, but we can, we can understand, we can meditate and comprehend the spirit and the soul, but the body, we can touch it anytime, too often, right? So the body we know is waxing and aging and dying, but the spirit, when the Holy Spirit comes in, the spirit comes in us, continually reminds us, shake it off, you're getting a new body. Shake it off, you're getting a new body. Don't overinvest in that body, you're not going to keep that one. You know, I get a kick out of it when people are like, oh, I've had people. I've probably, since I've been a pastor, had at least four or so people, I don't know the exact number, ask me, do you think, uh, do you think it's wrong to be cremated? I'm like, are you kidding me? 
you know how you know how many bodies in world history have never made it to a coffin? And you know how many bodies have died at sea and been annihilated by salt water? Do you know how many bodies have been incinerated with bombs? I mean, what about all the bombs and bodies in Hiroshima, right? I mean, no. Cremation doesn't mean anything because God's going to take whatever body you had and either bring it back from the nowhere of space or whatever uh, the molecular structure is and pull it all back together and then add ingredients to make it perfect and glorified. Isn't that great? That's what he'll do. So when I die, I don't care if they cremate me at all. God knows where my parts are, doesn't he? Or if a bomb hits Richmond and, you know, whatever, and I'm incinerated, why, could I, why should I care? It's like, boy, if they didn't ever receive a proper burial, God's not going to know where to find the body. <laughs> and first of all, the body left long enough will become dust anyway. That's why uh, Abraham said, I'm a man of dust and ashes. Right? Ashes to ashes, dust to dust, you go back to the... So it's the silliest thing that people think that, that, oh man, if they got to be... You know, God is going to bring every believer's body back to a glorified body. Every non-believer's body will be cast in bodily form. They'll get their body too, but it's going to look a lot like this one, and it's going to be cast into hell with the inability to actually die. Big, big difference. That's not something you eagerly await for. That's something you run away from and into the arms of Jesus. Amen? You don't eagerly await that. But we're eager for redemption. We know I'm 44. I blink an eye, I'll be 88. And at 88, the things that are working now, which I'm still happy that work well, won't be working as well. Dentures will be a new, uh, a new adventure. You know, things like that, right? Holodent will be an investment in the home. You know, things like that will, will come along, but we, we, desire, we desire the redemption of the body. 2 Corinthians 4, 7 and 9 says, but we have in this treasure earthen vessels. You know, that's pottery, that's clay. Very, very fragile. These, uh, the, we have the treasure of Christ inside the non-treasurable clay that's actually decayed and uh, that the excellence of the power of God may, uh, may be of God and not of us. And we know this is true because a, a 93-year-old, we had my grandmother who's turning 95 in the fall, we had her ha- over the house this weekend, 95 years of age, you know, she can still move her feet on, and she's sitting and trying to show me the Charleston, but it's not quite the same. But the treasure of God inside of us, it's his power, it's not a power of physical strength, like Samson, we are hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. And then in Job 19, 25 and 26, he says, For I know that my Redeemer lives. I love this verse, don't you? And he shall stand at last on the earth. Now this actually ties the verses above to this verse. At the, at the earth, because he says that his Redeemer will stand at last on the earth. What earth? Well, the earth that's been perfected and, and restored. And after my skin is destroyed, there's Job telling you it doesn't matter where your body ends up, it, your skin won't be there. I, this I know, that in my flesh I shall see God. Now, if his skin is destroyed, but in his flesh he sees God, God's bringing back from 
elements of the atmosphere, Job's body will come like the rattling bones there in Ezekiel, uh, and they'll come out of nowhere, and he'll all of a sudden skin will start to attach and everything else, and Job becomes a glorified with a white robe, and he stands on the earth with Jesus, and the earth that he knew it was all messed up. Remember, part of his family was killed by a whirlwind. Did you know that? A whirlwind killed part of his family. All those things will be, will be gone, and he'll stand with Christ in a glorified body. In his own flesh, he'll look at the Lamb of God. And that is why we're eager for redemption. F.B. Meyer said, God has set eternity in our heart, and man's infinite capacity cannot be filled or satisfied with things of time and sense. Eternity is what the body longs for, not this current, you know, uh, I was reading Andrew Murray's book, Experiencing the Holy Spirit, and so much is made of the importance of the Holy Spirit in this eighth chapter that you cannot persevere without the power of the Holy Spirit. And he writes this, and it's, it's, uh, it's perfect for living uh, as your body is dying, as the world is dying, as the sufferings and the buffetings and, and all that would come with, with uh, following Christ would come upon you. He says, uh, it is, uh, he says, God has always called on his people to separate themselves from the world and to live as pilgrims whose treasure and heart are in heaven. But is this really what is seen among Christians? Who will dare say so? When they have attained a, measurable, uh, a measure of unblamelessness in their walk and assurance of heaven, most Christians consider that they are at liberty to enjoy the world as fully as all the others. Little is seen of true heavenly-mindedness in conversation or in walk, in disposition or endeavor. Is not this the case because the search for spiritual excellence is so little enjoyed and sought for? Light drives out darkness. The spirit of heaven expels the spirit of the world. Where a man does not surrender himself to be filled with the spirit of Jesus and the spirit of heaven, Christian though he may be, he must come under the power of the spirit of the world. Listen to the piercing cry that rises from the whole church. Who will rescue us from the power of the spirit of this world? Your answer should be, nothing, no one, save the spirit of God. I must be filled with the spirit. Now, Jesus talked about this, that the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches uh, would actually entrap people and they would no longer uh, seek him. They, they would try and rather than realize that the body is dying and be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit and fill the power of Christ until he returns, they try and do everything to preserve the body forever. Right? You've seen Hollywood? I mean, how many uh, trips to the plastic surgeon can you take before you realize this was a bad idea? Right? And you know, I know that's a, an extreme, but we, again, we want to know that God is saying, look, everything is going to waste away. Even if you make all the most perfect decisions to make your life perfect, it can all fall apart in a New York minute. So instead, seek after me. Seek after the power of the Holy Spirit. Don't worry about, well, if I live for you, God, Satan will attack me even more. God says, look, you're safer in my hands than in your hands. And that's what faith is. The just will live by faith. The last point as we come to a close that he makes in this is regarding prayer and he um, talks about 
Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses, for we do not know what we should pray for as we ought. The Spirit Himself makes intercessions for us, groanings which can't be uttered. Now, He who searches the hearts, the minds of the Spirit, of what the Spirit is, um, He makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And He says, and We know that all things work together for good to those who love God and to the called according to His purpose. See, we can trust the Lord. We can trust the Lord that everything will work together for good. If you live for Satan or if you live for your flesh or you live for the world, that promise can't be for you or me. That promise is only, you know, Joseph then said to his brothers, what Satan meant for evil, God meant for good. This, God does this amazing thing. I can look back, um, and there's some things I can't say sometimes when I'm preaching because I have things coming up where uh, I can't even mention them. But I can say this, that difficulties that I've had in my life, sicknesses that I've had in my life, uh, pains that I've had in my life, God uses those things for future ministry opportunities that I would never be able to do uh, if I hadn't experienced things that I've experienced. And the same is true for you. You will not be usable in certain situations unless God has taken you through a fire. And even then, you will not say to the person, I know exactly how you feel you'll have enough wisdom of the Spirit not to ever say that. There'll never be an appropriate time to say, I know exactly how you feel. You will put your arm around and people say, can I pray with you? And if they want to, they'll say, you went through something like this, didn't you? And then the doors swing open. But the Holy Spirit beyond that, this last point edified by the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, there's times where in difficulties both for other people and for ourselves, we don't even know what to pray. We're in travail. You ever been there? You're in enough travail, you're in enough either physical pain, some kind of emotional pain, some kind of I don't know what I should do in this situation decision. All of these things, you don't know exactly what to pray, and your prayer ends up, as C.S. Lewis said, are the most pure prayers, they're the shortest. Like Peter sinking into the ocean. Help. Right? And Those prayers God will hear at any time, but he will answer them. If you you pray that and you're living and and there's a lot, you know, there's sin in your life and there's rebellion in your life, God will still hear the prayer, but he'll say, we've got some things to deal with first. Those must be dealt with. I will never leave you or forsake you, but but these things are going to have to go. But even then, we might, we might empty ourselves and confess every single thing we possibly are aware of. You ever done that? Confessed everything you think of and you still are being bombarded with doubts and fears and pains and all these different things and you throw them all at the feet of Jesus and you've confessed sins that you didn't even do just to be safe, right? I've done that, have you? You said something nice, and that was probably gossip. You know, uh, you know that kind of thing. They weren't around when I said something nice. And you throw all that, and then, but he says here, at those times the Holy Spirit will groan in utterings that we cannot even understand. And of course, the Holy Spirit is talking to Jesus and Jesus to the Father, and it's a beautiful relationship that the Father and the Son and the Spirit have together. And the Holy Spirit says, look, I, I'm with this guy all the time. I pretty much know what he needs. It's not what he's praying for. This is actually what he should be praying for. And Jesus says, yes, I also agree. And the Father says, 
I also agree. And they're always in agreement that you're not praying for what you should be praying for. Now, eventually, here's the cool thing in the heavenly realm, eventually God will swing you around to praying, might be a week, might be two weeks, he'll swing you around to praying for what you should be praying for. And you're later, you'll be dawning, like, why did I start praying this earlier? Good thing was God was already receiving it through the Holy Spirit on your behalf and on my behalf. And that's something the world doesn't get. You know, I, I, I've told people before, hey, can I pray for you? And sometimes I'll have people unsaved people say, yeah, I'll use all the prayer I can get. I could use that. But we actually not only pray ourselves, but the Holy Spirit is praying on our behalf. That's why Jude 1.20, I mentioned it again on Sunday, praying in the Holy Spirit. I'm praying in the Spirit when I have un, no, that I know of, no unconfessed sin. You know, I've worshipped the Lord, I've been praising the Lord, I've been asking for help. I'm praying in the Spirit, but I still may not pray exactly what the Spirit is leading me to, and that's why the Spirit will take the lead and bring me there. And sometimes it takes weeks to bring me there. Literally. Where I, 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 I'm my focus on this, and it really is a godly focus, right? It might be a godly focus, but the Lord may say, you'll tarry there for a while. You ever know such children of Israel were here, then God brings them over here, then God brings them over here. They never stay in the same place because we're pilgrims. It's a, even our tent dwellings are even in our prayer life in a sense because God moves us and speaks on our behalf. The other two things uh, coming to a close here, the knowledge of the truth, that everything will work out for our good. And to know that, rest in that and believe it, the knowledge, the belief that everything will work for good to us that are saved, that love God and are the called according to His purpose. Uh, that's not easy to explain to someone who doesn't believe in God and has a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Because I could rattle off 15 disastrous things in America, whether they be crimes or natural disasters in America, and you would say, how, how in the world can anything good come out of that? Only good can come out of it when we surrender to God. Only when we surrender to God. People can actually see, I was praying for some of the martyrs, I was reading through the voice of the martyrs, and you read some of the sufferings that they've gone through. You know, one pastor uh, in... Um, Tanzania or Uganda, I can't remember, was it Uganda? Um, where, you know, someone, extremist Muslim, yelled, Pastor, he turned, threw acid in his face. I mean, six surgeries now. He's been living in Israel since 2011, surgery after surgery after surgery. All that side of the face destroyed, and his back. I mean, it, it's, it's horrific just to look at. I showed little Bella, and she's like, wow. And I said, you know, all that. For Jesus. Now, you don't understand how anything good can come out of that. You don't understand how anyone can endure that. That's the grace that's sufficient. Grace that is supernatural. Uh, and yet, these, these people pray for their persecutors that they would be saved. And, uh, and some of them actually get saved. Most of the most devout believers in that part of East Africa are almost all, not all, but a bunch of the most devout ones. I mean, the ones that are the, the real leaders are ex-Muslim. And some of them, the sons and daughters of former high clerics. And they're the most hated, by the way, because they came out of that. But God can do good through all of those things. Uh, 2 Corinthians 3, 1 through 6 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, 
Father of mercies and all comfort, who comforts us in all our tribulation, that we may also be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also abounds in Christ. Now if we are afflicted, it is for your consolation and salvation, which is effective for the enduring of the same suffering which we also suffer. In hindsight, we see all the time that previous sufferings helped us minister, helped us pray, helped us relate, helped us bring people to Christ. And the last point uh, that he makes here is that uh, we're predestined to be conformed into the image of his Son. Don't have time to get into predestination versus uh, free will because I believe they are both taught in Scripture. I believe in both predestination and free will. Someone says, did you choose Christ or did Christ choose you? I say yes. I'm going to ask the question again. Did you choose Christ or did Christ choose you? Yes. I answer it the same way over and over again. Right? Did Sarah choose me or did I choose her? Yes. Chosen and free will said yes. If you're, if you're in a marriage relationship where that is not a yes, then that's a different problem that we should, that we should dig into. But the other thing he says is we're going to be conformed into the image of Christ. So the Holy Spirit edifies us by strengthening us in our prayer life, convincing us that all things will work together for good, and lastly, letting us understand and even see the transformation where we can look back and see, wow, I really am being conformed. I used to would have flown off the handle for this ridiculous thing. And now I stayed calm. I used to would have not even said a prayer for so-and-so going through that. I would have said, oh, that's too bad to hear. Uh, back to eating. But now I feel compelled at least to stop the family. Let's gather hands and start to pray. Grow beyond that and say, man, I should fast for them. Or whatever. They will be fasting tomorrow as a church. I mean, these are things that we grow in these things. And the Lord is conforming us by His Holy Spirit into His image. Let's pray.